chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This last week, many of you know that my my family often, uh, my wife specifically will review my notes. My family often kind of curiously asks at some point in the week if they're a part of any of the illustrations. And this week, they've been a little bit more nervous about asking that question, given the subject matter of singleness, marriage, sex. They're like, uh, we're not one of the illustrations, right? I said, don't worry, not that I'm aware of. Um, Because I think that 1 Corinthians 5 gives us plenty to work from. And I I do want to just say this at the outset. The subject of sex has long been poorly or anemically addressed in the church. Now, I'm talking about the church universal. I'm not just talking about Metro Life Church. I'm I'm speaking to you today as one who's been married this September 24 years. Uh, I was single for a season. Uh, I survived kissing, dating, goodbye. I remember purity culture. Uh, There are residues of those things in in our mind and even in this local church culture, I believe. And so today, it may be easy to think, you know, we've been married longer than that. I've been single longer than that. So I'm going to just kind of check out or discount what's being said this morning. And I would invite you not to do that. Because I'm not as interested in what you hear me say as what you hear God's words speak to each one of us. We are all created in the image of God. That's our starting point this morning. We are called to live for the glory of God, no matter our struggles in sex, no matter what's been done to us, no matter our season or stage of life, no matter the things that we have done to others or the things that have been done to us. We are called as those who are created in the image of God to live for the glory of God. And I want to make sure that we have that starting place this morning. Because as we read God's word, it's very easy for us to to kind of get a case of the yeah buts. Yeah, but, yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. And, and, And I'd like to just start with yes, and God's word is the foundation for our lives. So today, we can speak candidly on the topic of sex. As intimate as the details can be, as horrific the harms can be that come from this being handled wrongly in a variety of relationships, we can speak to it with candor and with care at the same time. And that's my prayer this morning, that we're able to kind of put all of our objections aside and to submit ourselves first and foremost to the Word of God. So as we're going through 1 Corinthians chapter 5 through 7, and we're going to kind of do an overview of those chapters today, would you posture yourself in the same way that, that I pray that I am this morning? Submitting ourselves first and foremost to the Word of God. Lord, speak to us this morning through your Word. Have your way with our hearts and our minds. We know that they, that they are called to be captured and captivated by you, that they are called to be renewed and transformed by you, and that they are called to be consumed with 
a passion for your glory. We can't generate that on our own this morning. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide our thoughts that it would glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm I'm nervous about how much we warned this week being a PG-13 subject matter. Uh, I am aware that May is a very busy month. I actually was saying last week my own 14-year-old daughter will be sitting on the front row. She's not there. Uh, My family is not immune to the busyness of this month. Actually, most of my family is this morning with uh, our middle son, who is at his baccalaureate service. Uh, Why they do it during a church service, I don't know. Uh, But that is where my family is this morning, and so I made sure that Stephanie read these notes. I had a couple of singles in the church take a look at the notes as well, and my, my prayer is that in so doing, my desire is to serve you well as a church. And I think there's some stuff we need to speak to directly. We've been a bit too silent on it recently. Because it's not like the world is being silent on the subject of sex. As a matter of fact, the world speaks very loudly to it, very wrongly to it, without taking into account the consequences, the design, the purpose, the the passions that actually are involved. And there's this distortion. But, but here's the thing. I, I want us all to, at the outset, recognize this is not new. There's nothing new under the sun. And it's, it's very tempting for us to see the world around us and think, it's never been this bad before. And that may be true for our generation, but that's not true in history. The church in Corinth was facing the same things, many of the same themes that we are today. And in the midst of that, Paul speaks and says, verse 1, of chapter 5, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Now, for something to be immoral, that means that there must be some sort of other working, underlying morality that's at work. And what we're talking about today, in the midst of kind of transitioning from unity as one of the themes in the book of Corinthians to purity in the church as one of the themes in Corinthians, we realize he is dealing with immorality in a very specific way, and that's a sexual immorality. It means we need to be purified. It means that there is something in our midst that is foreign to who we are or who we've been called to be. It, it means that there's some sort of additive or some uncleanliness, some guilt There's some kind of sinister or maybe even improper views. And so this morning, even as I'm praying at the outset, we're talking about ways that God wants to renew our minds, that he wants to change our hearts and the things that drive us. And you may realize, like, I'm I'm setting up a bit of a framework to work from for the rest of this morning. And my desire in doing that and taking some extra time is I want to make sure that we understand properly the role of God's word as primary over our culture as primary over the world and and I say that because of this because God created the world and he spoke and he gave us his word so this world that he spoke into existence falls under the authority of his word that he spoke and gave to us and in the midst of that he he reveals some things about sin about the purification that is needed in us 
Perhaps you're here today and, and you're a believer and you realize like sin does remain. It doesn't reign in your heart or in your head anymore, but it does remain. And those, those temptations, they don't just instantly go away. You may be here this morning and you just think of all the mornings to show up to church, they're going to talk about sex and have some attempt to do it in a healthy way. I'm curious to see how they do that. This is being live streamed. I don't want to go viral for the wrong reasons. I want to be biblical for the right reasons. So we have some things to talk about. We have some things to address, maybe from your past or from my past or from the church's collective past here locally, globally in the church. It's a mess. Good thing Paul speaks to Corinth because they were a mess too. And he, and he lays some things out. And I want to ask a question at the outset this morning. And it's a question that, that I'm just going to ask and not attempt to answer. But I want to ask the question, what does your heart burn for? What does your heart burn for? And you may just think, oh my gosh, not another fire illustration as it relates to sex. Yeah. Unapologetically. Here's why. Flip over to 7, 9. Chapter 7, verse 9, what does it say? It is better to marry than to burn with passion. Burn. Fire. So I'm going to unapologetically use that illustration or that as a metaphor for us this morning because that's what God's Word uses as a metaphor. As a matter of fact, it uses the fire as a metaphor, burning as a metaphor, throughout Scripture for a number of things. It, it has to do with passions. If we can't talk about sex and passion at the same time in the church, why does one of the 66 books in the book of Song of Solomon exist? Yes, I think it is an allegory of Christ, but I think it's also instructive for marriage. It doesn't have to compete with one another for its purpose. Song of Solomon teaches us how to burn with passion for one another within the confines of a marital relationship. It teaches us how to burn rightly. But burning is also something else in Scripture. Fire is also something else, not just consuming, but it is purifying. It's something that refines. It brings out impurities. But it also reveals our longings. And it can bring devastation upon us in judgment. So I'm asking the question, not just what does your heart burn for, but I'm asking about your heart in terms of what is it that motivates or drives you each and every day. Now, most people wouldn't get up in the morning and be like, today my theme of life is sex. Not all people, but most people would not do that. But I am asking that question as it relates to this subject. What does your heart burn for? Some years ago, I was uh, working in a local business, and my one account was the 50 square miles of Walt Disney World's property. Driving around that property, you see a number of things that can get to work very quickly. Now, this particular summer, as I was driving around the property, visiting the different accounts that I had there, I noticed that we were in the midst of an extremely dry season. It was one of those, like, every five to ten year, you know, hundred year summers that we get. And, and there was a lot of fires, and so, like, smoke was in the air. It was a constant, constant irritation in the, in the lungs. Your eyes were always watering. You could smell it everywhere. And so fire was everywhere. It was being lit up by uh, lightning 
spring, but there wasn't really rain that was happening. It was extremely dry. Perhaps you can remember some of the summers that I'm describing if you've lived in this area for long. And as I'm driving around Disney, I notice something start to happen on property. A lot of land next to the, the large areas of, of pine trees that they have on property, there's this swath of land that's starting to get carved out. There's a swath of land that's starting to get carved out, and it's kind of churned up and cultivated in this way where what is up first and foremost is not vegetation, it's dirt. What are they doing? They are carving fire breaks into place. What does a fire break do? It says, it's okay for the fire to burn here. It's going to reach this point, and it's not going to go any further. Or if it comes from this direction, it's not going to actually hit this and then just kind of consume all of this land. The fire break is in place for protection. It's in place so that fire can burn properly where it's supposed to and not go where it's not supposed to. And in 1 Corinthians 5-7, through 7, Paul is, is creating a fire break on the subject of sex. He's looking at sex and he's saying, hang on, we need to, we need to put some appropriate barriers in place. So he kind of starts with one that's like not exactly a Christian hot take, which is like don't marry and have sexual relationships with your mother-in-law. That seems like an obvious one, okay. Except that that's what was happening in the church in Corinth. Not only that, they were arrogant about it. Look, I mean, just look very simply down at verse 2, and you were arrogant. You may just think, you made that up. No, that's what Scripture says. Not only was it happening, there was this kind of arrogance, this boastfulness about it. And then he describes something about the church and church discipline that should happen. You may just think, hey, it's a message on sex. I mean, first of all, of all days, couldn't you just talk about money? So not only are you talking about sex, you're bringing in the subject of church discipline. Why would you do that? Well, I mean, the beginning of verse six, or excuse me, chapter 6 is an entire section on lawsuits amongst believers. You may think, well, what does lawsuit have to do with church discipline? Listen, if, if the church in Corinth was dealing with something like a version of the Corinthian TED Talk, the courts were the people's court of Corinth. Jerry Springer would have been embarrassed of some of the stuff that they were doing in the people's court of Corinth. It was entertainment to them. There was no Netflix, so what would they do? They would just go binge in the courts for the day. And they would see these, these groups pontificating against one another and bringing all these fake charges and bringing all these things that, that were happening and, and these accusations against one another. And he says, why would you take the things that are happening in the church that God's word speaks to so plainly and bring them into the courts of the land? Now, yes, I believe that principally this means that we should be able to settle things, matters within the church. I do not believe that this means that nothing gets handled within the courts. I do believe when it comes to the topic of sex, especially when harm has been perpetrated from one individual to another, that there is absolutely a place for law enforcement. There is absolutely a place for the consequences and the punishment of the governmental courts of our system. But that's not what he's addressing in 1 Corinthians. So let me be clear of what I'm not saying as well. If you harm someone, there are consequences. We will report those things. There is no place for that in the church. God has given us the common grace of government to be a part of punishment for wrongdoing in that way. 
but he's also given us the gift of judgment, and by that I mean discernment to understand right from wrong, especially within the church. When he's talking about judging one another, he's not talking about condemning or exacting some kind of, of uh, executing some kind of sentence against them. He's talking about discerning between what is right and wrong. And in the church, we have a tool that allows us to discern what is right from wrong. And that's not something that needs to be taken out and displayed in the courts. Or as I said, the Corinthian version of the people's court. We all know Judge Wapner, right? I mean, like, come on, old school. Y'all still with me? I'm just making sure. All right. I am way off notes here. It's okay with you, I'm going to stay that way. It's okay with you, I'm going to stay that way. So we have this idea of creating this moral framework. We have a, a morality that's a work. There's a purity that Paul is after. We understand that sin no longer reigns, but it does remain as we are fallen beings, that there is a purifying fire that is happening. Our hearts are being revealed in the midst of this. Anything else we need to build out as a framework? I hope not. <laughs> Feels like enough to cover up to this point, but... My desire today is not to attempt to address everything that we need to talk about as it relates to sex or a healthy biblical sexuality. But I do want to start the right conversation. I do want to start the right conversation to do. We, we need to be able to speak plainly. And this is not in this speak plainly against the world. I don't need another enemy. I got one inside in my own heart, obviously. But see, the gospel speaks plainly to the effects of sex and the variety of expressions across generational, seasonal, stage of life differences that are present here today. Do I know every story that's sitting in front of me right now or listening online? No, I don't. Does that mean that God's word is any less powerful to speak to us? No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, pastorally, I would want to say this. For those who are single here today, I want there to be an envisioning for this season of life that you are in. Your life and your worth and your value to this church is not diminished because of your season. We need you here. I need you in my life. My family needs you in our lives. Our community groups need you in their lives. Our church needs you. You can find flourishing and fulfillment through the purposes of God in your life right now. You are not less than in any way, shape, or form. You have all that you need to be released into the calling, gifts, and live for the glory of God. Your life and your purpose are not on a holding pattern because of your season. And I want those who are married here in Metro Life Church, I want us to experience healthy sexual intimacy. Mutual care, mutual pleasure that leads to fulfillment with one another. Why? Because that points to the glory of God, and as we'll see in just a moment, it reveals the mystery of the gospel. Now, at the church in Corinth, their tolerance had been skewed. Their tolerance on this subject had been skewed and it had led to major distortions of the truth. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, he, he, Paul again reiterates, your boasting is not good. 
Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Notice he doesn't use yeast there. Cleanse out the old leaven, it says in verse 7, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. In other words, do away with the things of the world because you have been called to be a new creation. For Christ, the end of verse 7 says, the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here is the reality. Sincerity and truth, spirit and truth, they can coexist. Healthy sexual relationships within the church can coexist because we are a new creation. So in other words, your sex life matters. It matters to God. Not only at home, it matters for the purity of the church. It matters for the way that you think about the subject. It it matters for the way that you communicate on the subject. 1 Corinthians 6, 9a says, Do you not know that the righteous, the unrighteous, will, un, will not inherit the kingdom of God? So whether you're married or you're single, it's never just sex. It's never just sex. Matter of fact, we're going to see how Scripture speaks right out of the gate in Genesis to this issue. Because, you see, if, if you're here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, whether you call this your home church or not, If you're here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, you are royalty. As a matter of fact, if you are here today and you are breathing and you're alive, you are a part of that royalty. What do I mean by that? In Genesis chapter 1, we are told that God created man in his own image. Now, he is the sovereign God. And if we have been created in his image, we are a form of royalty. You may be thinking like, wait a minute, didn't you deal with some of this in the Crown and Glory series at Easter? Yes. Yes, I did. Thank you for remembering that. I came across an article this week. We have a picture that, that accompanied the article. came across an article this week talking about the queen, and for the first time in her reign, she did not make it to open up the parliament for their new session. And what sat there? Just her crown. Just her crown sat there. And the future king sat next to it. He doesn't look right. This is the lead image in a Washington Post article. And I thought, doesn't this just describe how so many of us as believers act today? Psalm 8, 5 tells us that we are crowned with glory in creation. Ultimately, that scripture is talking about Jesus Christ, and yet it's informing you and me today in our identity that is found in Christ Jesus. And and we love that idea. We love that our identity can be found in Christ Jesus, except he's not sitting next to us right now. And so we can kind of sit there like, I know that I'm supposed to be ruling and reigning, except he's gone. We see it at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you and for me. So let's stop acting this way. Let's stop acting this way about our identity in Jesus Christ and realize we are called to live in the good of that today. There will come a day where we will be judged based on how it is that we lived out that identity. Let's live rightly. Let's not look at it as if there's this royal, priceless thing that's missing. Let's realize that he has called us to live in the good of that today. We are royalty. And why would I start out talking about that? 
I think it's important for us to understand who that we are so that it rightly frames our understanding of sex. Because it's not just sex, but sex life matters in the life of the believer. Our sex life matters for the life of the believer. When it comes to our identity as those who are royalty in the kingdom of God, Ray Ortland says in his book, The Death of Porn, I'm going to mention two books today. I do recommend them. They're fairly new books. Ray Ortland on The Death of Porn, Dean and Sarah on a book called Pure. And he speaks to a lot of things. If you grew up in the church, he speaks to some things that you might have grown up with. He speaks to things like modesty and modesty checklists and purity culture and so many things that are kind of buzzwords for deconstruction these days. And you know what? There's some things that need to be deconstructed because they were built on the wrong foundation. But I don't want to build my life on church fads. I want to build my life on the Word of God. So I highly recommend the book Pure by Dean and Sarah and The Death of Porn by Ray Ortland. I think that they speak very well and plainly to these subjects. Ray Ortland in his book, The Death of Porn, says this, of your identity in Jesus Christ, you don't have to make this true. It is true. Your creation was your coronation as royalty. That's good news for us. And what are we called to be? A new creation now in Jesus Christ. We're called to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. So that means the way that we think about sex needs to be redeemed. The way that we think about sex needs to be redeemed. See, the way that we think about sex can actually become this new form of distorted religion. And can I just say, the world's religion, the world's religion of performance, in that religion, sex is its own sacrament. Let me say it again. The world's religion, a false religion that they are creating out of nothing, within that religion, sex is its own sacrament. Why would I say that? Because if you ever speak of sex in a way that doesn't agree with them and align with them entirety, you are ostracized. Allow me to give you a, a little bit another layer of example. I believe in the world today that abortion has become a sacrament. You think, what in the world? Get back to church discipline. No. I think abortion has become a sacrament in the religion of sexuality as defined by the world. Because it becomes a way that you can have free sex with no consequences. And how, oh, Lord help me. I cannot address every single circumstance. I'm going to ask you to go back to, like, let's set the yabbats aside. And let's realize that we need a clear, eternal voice to speak to this today. Throughout chapters 5 through 7 of 1 Corinthians... Paul plays out our our identity change, that royalty that we're called to. Verse 6, he says, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 11, and such were some of you, greedy drunkards, revilers, swindlers, 
adulterers, those who practice sexual homosexuality, uh, idolaters, sexually immoral, and such were some of you, he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Again, truth and spirit can coexist in the life of the believer. And he goes on to say that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. I think this is actually something that is key for us to understand in our mentality of a healthy biblical sexuality. Why? Because it speaks to our heavenly mindset, not an earthly mindset. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. There are a lot of things that are lawful in our world that go against the morality of our faith. Do you know the difference? Does it inform what your heart burns for? I think this passage is key in 1 Corinthians 6.12 for us to understand. This is, this is speaking to things like pornography. This is speaking to things like our passions. This is speaking to things like our purity. This is speaking to things like the way that, the way that it is that we approach sexuality outside of marriage. This is speaking to things like, are we just going to try to find some, a good pair of Mormon underwear to be able to get away with whatever we want to in, in our engagement state? And too many of you know what I was just referencing. We ask the question, how far can I go, without asking, where has God drawn the line? This verse speaks to that very directly. Things that are lawful are not always helpful. Is your mindset heavenly or earthly as it relates to this subject. Paul says of himself, I will not be dominated by anything. Why is that? Well, because he's saying, I actually want to be consumed by the kingdom of God. At the end of chapter 6 and verse 16, if you have your Bibles open, you'll see this. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? All right, so another not exactly Christian hot take, don't sleep with prostitutes. Okay, Paul, what is he doing? He's, he's continuing to build out this framework. What does he say next? Do you not know in verse 19 of chapter 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. So what are you doing in the midst of trying to join with a prostitute? You are joining the temple of God with a prostitute. And we think that, that sounds perverse. And you're right. And Paul's saying, if that's what you are engaged in, that is what you are doing. And you may think, like, I've never done that. What if we substitute the word porn for prostitute? I'm talking to men and women in this church. What if we substitute the word porn for prostitute? You say, I've, I've never done this. You know, we think about passages that speak to orgies and those types of things. I've never done this. Really? Have you ever watched porn for pleasure? Orgy. Multiple people involved, not the confines of a marital bed. Paul's speaking very plainly to our sex lives. Paul's speaking not just about what we do with our bodies, but what we do with our thoughts and taking them captive. Paul's speaking very plainly to some things, and he's saying, you know, this actually is probably far more applicable than we give it credit for. Because he's not just speaking to our bodies, he's speaking to our hearts. The ways that we try to excuse this thing or that. 
Do you not realize that when you join yourself in those activities, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit filled with him from God himself? That is a gift to you. Why would you join it in union to a prostitute? 1 Corinthians 7, 17, we're not going to go there right now, but it goes on to say, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them. So we're talking about sex in kind of the broadest terms right now. Let each person lead, lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called them. This is my rule in all the churches. In other words, I'm not just talking to Corinth. He's talking to you and me sitting in Metro Life Church today. And he's calling us to purity in this area. Ray Ortland, again in the book, The Death of Porn, says this, Your identity, who you really are, is found in the king you represent. You are his royal ambassador to our broken world. And what Paul calls that royal ambassador to in 1 Corinthians 6 is, don't join that with a prostitute. He's speaking to our, our union in Christ. He's speaking to our union in Christ, and this is where we begin to understand that the mystery of the gospel is very much involved in our sexual identity as believers, in our sexual integrity as believers. If we go back a little bit to 1 Corinthians 6, 14, it says this, and God raised the Lord and will also raise you by his power. So we realize that there is actually a resurrection of the, of the Most High, of the King, there is a resurrection power that empowers us to be purified. Do you not know that the Lord God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. He uses absurdity to illustrate, uh, to illustrate the absurd. And he goes on to talk about that section that we've already covered, talking about judging one another. Why, why was judgment needed? Why was discernment needed? Why was it necessary for church discipline to exist in order to keep the church pure? Because they lived in a perverse culture. Let's just think about a few things that were active in the culture there. Just a few years after this happens, Nero is going to take a young man, Nero, the Roman emperor, is going to take a young man, have him surgically altered into a woman. He is going to parade him in front of Rome, and he is going to marry him as a bride in front of Rome and make him one of his multiple brides. Nero is going to do that. Now, this is Nero, the same one that came up with Roman candles by burning Christians at the stake. Perverse. Sounds a lot like things we have going on in the world today. People in Corinth were celebrating a sense of sexual freedom. In our nation, we began to see this happen more and more throughout the 50s. It kind of reached an apex in the late 60s and early 70s with the sexual revolution. And we are seeing the consequences of that today in ways that we don't yet even fully comprehend. Corinth is not unlike our world today. Because in Corinth, sex was treated just like any other appetite. You need a drive through quickie or you need a meal. Same thing here. It's just another sexual, sex is just another appetite. 
should be satisfied whenever, wherever. And, and you may think, like, that sounds perverse. Okay, well, so they had sex as worship in many of the temples. Whenever, wherever. Joining with prostitutes as a way for the temple to make money. Actually, they, they even had a, a kind of a, an inverse distortion that said that if you want to truly be spiritually pi- pious, don't have sex at all. That also is against God's good design. Let's, let's not forget, sex is not a result of the fall. It was distorted by the fall. It was created as good by God. It's a part of a creation mandate that we be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth for his glory. And do you know how, no matter what season of life that you're in now, you fill the earth with his glory is by having sexual integrity that is properly informed by biblical truth. It's how we fill the earth with his glory. Here's what I know about you in the church. I know that you long for your lives to display the glory of God. My question for us this morning is, is this another area that's been submitted for his glory? Is this another area of our lives that have been submitted for his glory? Beyond that, there were four different types of marriage that existed in Corinth. There was this uh, tent cohabitation. A cohabitation of slaves that would have been bought. And and then at any point, the master could have come through and taken those slaves for whatever purpose that he desired. There was a tent cohabitation. There was a common law marriage that if they lived together for a year, they were considered married. There was an arranged marriage where daughters were kind of sold off as if they were property. And then there's the marriage that we continue to celebrate today. But you know, there was also a misunderstanding of being single. In the same way that abstaining from sex or taking uh, advantage of sex whenever and wherever were seen as these two opposite ends of the extreme of a heightened spirituality, there was also a misunderstanding of being single. Being single was not equal to a heightened spirituality. Now this list could go on of what was going on in Corinth. I feel like that's enough. Because there were also things happening within the church. They were boasting about sexual sin. There was incest. There was abstinence for greater spirituality. There was a radical in- individualism expressed in the marital bed. They saw marriage as one plus pl- one equals two still. Instead of what the biblical formula for marriage is, one plus one equals one. And that one, in the same way that a single one, is united to Christ through the blood of the Lamb. That marriage is united to Christ as well. And we're going to see that in just a moment. They actually saw divorce as a freedom from being unequally yoked. You know, I was saved, but my husband or my wife is not saved, and so I feel like I need to divorce them so that I'm not unequally yoked. What a perverse understanding of being unequally yoked. Actually, Paul's going to say, stay in that marriage as a part of your Christian testimony. Be a part of a witness. So he's not writing a guide to be married. He's telling us, related to these specific things that they were facing, what it looks like to live our lives with sexual integrity for the glory of God. I actually think it's sad when we talk about divorce today that we don't talk about the idea of remarriage and where it may be a form of adultery. But that's not for today. In the church, they were also seeing sex as a right. They were seeing sex as a right within the marital bed. Rather than a an inclination to one another. In other words, there was an extraction through passion, not a serving one another through your passions. We're going to get back to that. 
Because this, strangely enough, sounds like our world today, doesn't it? Distortions, fallenness, brokenness, harm. There's nothing new under the sun that our, that our word doesn't perfectly address. So, take a breath from talking about sex for a second. Let's talk about being single. Because that's easier. Let me say this again. You're not just welcomed here or tolerated as an adequate believer here at Metro Life Church. You are wanted here. We need you. Hear it again. I can't directly speak to why you're not married. If that's what you desire, here's an interesting thing. It's one of the few places in Scripture that what we see that you desire is a part of what reveals what you may be called to. Where your desire for marriage reveals that we believe you're called to be married. Why? Because... That's what 1 Corinthians 7, 9 says. If you're burning with that desire, prepare yourself to be married. I'm saying that because you're probably not called to be celibate. I do believe that there are those who are called to be single, and we celebrate that. Singleness is a gift. Now, your knee-jerk reaction to that may be, I would like a different gift. Can I re-gift that? Can I, can I return that, please and thank you? No. You're not less than. You're not more. You're equal. You're, you're co-heirs with Christ, church. Let's fight for that perspective. As a matter of fact, let's let that inform the way that we talk with one another. When you are tempted to try to play the yinta, realize you may be miscommunicating someone's worth. Don't do that. I don't feel like I need to say anything else on that. Let's change our language. See, I can't apologize for marriage being held in a biblically high regard. I don't apologize for God's good design in that, but marriage isn't some kind of sacramental idol in the church either. It is a sacrament of the church, but we don't idolize marriage. You are not waiting to be the perfect Christian so you can finally do what God's called you to do. Why don't you get to it now? See, I keep going off notes. It's just unhelpful, and yet I want to just keep going. How about this? In 1 Corinthians 7, single, staying unmarried is desirable, but it is not demanded. It's desirable, but it's not demanded. And let's just talk about Paul here for a second. Paul is speaking as an authority on both of these areas. You think, how do you do that? I think Paul was married. I don't think Paul was married at this moment because he says, I desire that many of you would be as I am. But other places in Scripture, Paul reveals he was, a part, he was an orthodox in every way Jew. Do you know what it means to be orthodox in every way? It means you were married. Ah, oh, that doesn't seem like very good evidence. Okay, fine, let's go to two sources. He says he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Do you know how you become a member of the Sanhedrin? Not as a single. There's evidence in Scripture that Paul was married. And so he can speak authoritatively to both of these. And you may just think like, Paul didn't have any experience with this bull. I don't think that's true. Don't read into Scripture for an excuse for what you want. 
Read Scripture to speak to your heart. So he speaks as an expert with experience. He says staying unmarried is desirable, but it is not demanded for you. Why? Because you will be free from, verse 26, I believe it tells us, you'll be free from distress, duress, deterrence, and distraction. We're just going to leave it at that. You're going to be free from distress, duress, deterrence, and distraction. Listen, that's, that's his own messages. Shane looks forward to bringing that in young adults in the days ahead. Woo, that's fun. You know, now I know why Danny does that. That is fun. <laughs> you are free to be completely devoted to the things of the Lord. You know, I remember a season of singleness in my life, and this is going to sound like a strange illustration. It's how it came to mind. I couldn't get rid of it. I'm going to share it. It may not be helpful. Do away with it if if not. God's word, not my word. Okay, you got it. There was a season in our home that I cannot replicate today for a number of reasons. There was a season in our home when I was uh, living at home. I was single. I would show up to church on Sunday mornings with like three different instruments in my car. I have a bass guitar, electric guitar, acoustic guitar, and I might have been singing too. The only way I was able to do that was because I had hours on end to practice to be a part of that. Now I'm using worship and guitar as an illustration, but I think that you can put devotion to the things of the Lord in this place and whatever gifts and abilities that you have that God has called you to use for his good purposes. So don't like, just don't do that. There were things that that season of my life prepared me for, for the last, things that I've used in the last five years of my life. Things that were developed between the ages of 15 and 20 that I used 20 years later. You are free to be devoted to the things of the Lord. There came a moment at night when my dad had finally been lulled to sleep enough that, that our, our, their bedroom uh, wall and my bedroom wall, kind of they, they were against one another, so I'd just hear this knock on the wall at night. Matter of fact, after I left the house, the, the story that mom will continue to tell to this day is that dad would actually have a hard time falling asleep because I wasn't playing guitar in the other room. See, I think what that is is that that, that just models something of the devotion that you're able to give to the things of the Lord. You know one of the reasons I can't do that now? I'm tired. I don't know those hours of the day anymore. What are the things that you can devote yourself to today? Giving yourself over to them fully that are preparing you for the things that you're called to in the future. But marriage is not a prerequisite for participation in the life of the church. You are not free babysitters for the real Christians in the church. That's just gross to say out loud. And I don't want to live like that anymore. You are not the more mature version of the youth ministry. You are not a default serving team. You are single you are called by God to be a part of his house and this local expression of it. Oh, y'all, I got to get going. <clears throat> can you learn from, can you lean on, can you join in with families in the church? Please do. But waiting is not wanting. God provides ways for us all, whether we are married or single. But let me be clear. 
there is not a place for sex and singleness. There's not a place for <clears throat> exploration. Certainly not participation and not exploitation. Because sex is a form of union. Let me draw some other lines as well. This is going to include any sexual exploration, I believe, related to heavy petting in private areas of your body, dry humping, oral stimulation for release. Draw boundaries in your relationships with one another. Be accountable to others. Set sure foundation for marriage. As Paul tells Timothy, train yourselves for self-control. Last I checked, that's still a fruit of the Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's make some connections in Scripture together. Did that? Did that? All right. Back to Dean and Sarah's book, Pure. I'm, I'm going to try to wrap it up here, John, just a heads up. Sex is not for in-love people. Sex is not for mature people. Sex is not for careful people. Sex is for married people. Sex is for married people. If you are married, burn. Burn. I feel like there should be some amens here. Song of Solomon tells you to burn. And I don't just mean for, quote unquote, the honeymoon phase. Burn for life. Burn for life. Illustrations that are unhelpful are coming to mind. Whether you're single or married, there are struggles for sexual purity. There are unique blessings or trials in those seasons. You are equal in the eyes of God. Whether you're single or married, whether you're a man or a woman, you are loved by God. You are royalty in the courts of the king. But if singles are supposed to stay outside of the fire break, married couples should be burning within, within it. Burn within the boundaries that God has given you. Married people, sex is for you. Let's be better at it. There we go. And for the husbands of those ladies, we just have a particular time of ministry right now for you. My wife, were she here, would have joined her voices in that trio. Thank God she read these notes. See, sex is a leading and a lagging indicator in your home. Are you not burning? What is that revealing about what's going on in your home? Are you burning for the wrong things? What is that revealing about what's going on in your marriage? Are you not burning? There is no place for married couples to act as if they're celibate. And what I mean by that is there's no place for you to have an asexual marriage. I'm messing now. I'm messing with your marital bed. Here's why. You're not called to act as if you're celibate. Find ways to be intimate with one another. Seasons, stages of life, they require different things. There are those weeks after pregnancy. Let's just use that as the common illustration because it feels safest for me right now. 
There are times to not engage in sexual relations. Paul actually acknowledges that. He says, is there a time that that you are going to be a part to devote yourself to prayer? Why is that one that works? And there's no other place that Paul gives the reason for you not to be joined together in sexual union. So here's a question. If you can't remember the last time you had sex, why? What is God revealing about what you might be actually burning for in your heart? Is it because you've devoted yourself to other things? Is it because you've given yourself over to other temptations or vices? Is it because you have sown harm and hurt into your home in ways that have shut that off as a part of your relationship? Sex is a leading and a lagging indicator in your home. Let's figure that out so you can burn for his glory. So you can burn for his glory. See, in marriage... We are called to yield to one another. We are called to be inclined to serve one another. This is not just some Christian version of ladies first. This is a way that we say we have a heart to serve one another. But if your sexual relationship is one that says I am here to extract pleasure and you are the person I'm going to extract it from at this moment, that's also wrong. You're burning wrongly. You're not serving one another. You're serving yourself and there's no place for that in your union with Christ. Why? Because Christ doesn't serve himself. He laid down his life for you. So why would the temple of his Holy Spirit only seek to serve itself? Something's wrong. Something's distorted there. Let's let's get after that. Oh, man. Skipping, skipping, skipping. In marriage, sex has a purpose. I believe it's this. I believe sex has the purpose to explore one another's bodies, to discover the things that pleasure your partner, and to rejoice in God's good design. Am I here to tell you how often that should work? No. Am I here to tell you with what regularity or in what ways or positions or anything like that? No. Am I here to tell you what God's word says about the purpose of sex? Yes. It displays a part of the union we have with Christ. Do you know what the mystery of the gospel that's beginning to be revealed to us is? That you and I, no matter our season of life, no matter our sex, we are united with Christ. That's scandalous. That's amazing. That's hard to wrap my head around. These other things are about his good design for procreation, for pleasure, for a picture of Christ in the church, and for purity in the church. But you know what's most difficult for me to wrap my head around is the fact that I am united with Christ. Alistair Begg and Speaking of this segment says this, marriage has been ordained to maintain a purity in a world that is putrefying. So what is it? What is it that sex, what is it that singleness, what is it that marriage all point to? They all point to one thing and one thing only, the glory of God. The glory of God. And if there's something that we walk away with today, John, I'm skipping big time, buddy, come on out. 
If there's something today that I want us to walk away with, more consumed with, than what I said or didn't say about singleness, what I said or didn't say about sex, what I said or didn't say about marriage, here's what I want us to walk away with, more envisioned for, with our hearts enlarged for, with this sense of awe that we get to live our lives in a way that brings glory to the God that rescued us. See, we all represent, we all reflect, we resemble God in some ways. That means that we get to rule, that we get to cultivate through stewardship. It means that we get to have dominion over creation. It means that we have the capacity for relationship with God and for fellow human beings. It means that we are in relationship with Him, that, that, that ours is not just some religion. As if it's this list of things that we have to do, it's this relationship that we're called to in our union with Christ, in our union with one another in the marital bed, or our abstinence from that in our season of singleness. They all do this. They all point to the glory of God and His good design. I don't want to talk about the good design of motherhood and not be able to talk about the good design of singleness, marriage, and sex. It's all good back to the death of porn and his exuberant love for you not your feeble love for him it is your, his exuberant love for you that will lift you all the way to your eternal crown it's good news for us See, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 actually becomes a little bit of a, a guide, a metric that helps us understand how it is that the resurrected power of Jesus Christ empowers us to live in sexual purity for his glory. It says, just as we have borne, in 1 Corinthians 15, 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That means that the Christ who lived a perfect life who died a perfect death, who rose and overcame death in the grave, who is ascended and is seated on high, interceding for you and for me. We are not only reflecting his image in this world today, but we are going to ultimately reflect his image for eternity. That is resurrection power. And that resurrection power should inform the way that we look at sex and sexuality. So let me ask the opening question. What does your heart burn for? What is God revealing? Maybe that your heart has been burning for. Maybe you're encountering, even as I've been speaking, the burn of his refining fire that is, that is purifying. It is bringing out the dross that has existed in your heart or in your mind. The only reason he would reveal that is so that he can resolve its effects in your heart as well. not just revealing this to say like shame on you I said this yesterday in our men's meeting one of my favorite passages to turn to for any form of counsel first and foremost for my own heart is the book of 1st John I'm not even going to try to find this in my notes the book of 1st John If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it says. We were talking about a different passage yesterday in our men's meeting as it relates to friendship and brotherhood. 
if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. You know, if he was just one of those things, it would be enough, wouldn't it? But he's both of them. He is faithful. He's faithful to reveal them in your heart right now. He's faithful to bring them to mind, not for the sense of condemnation, but that in his justice through the cross of Jesus Christ, he can resolve that in your heart. Here's the good news for me and for you, for us today. There is no sin so shameful that the cross does not provide for it. And there is no shame so powerful that the blood of Christ is not powerful enough to cleanse it. You know, when it comes to sexual sin, I think we could talk about it in this way where it feels dirty. I actually remember seeing a comedian one time, he talked about if you were to have an affair, what is the first thing that you try to do? You try to go home, you try to take a shower. You know, I don't think affairs are the only sexual sin that you feel like a shower is what you need right off the bat. And perhaps you have tried every version of scrubbing your own life. Perhaps you have tried every version of of vice or thing to forget that sexual sin. And it's never been enough. Can I tell you, the cross will always be enough. Even if it's not something from your past, even if it's something from the last 24 hours, the cross is enough for you. turn to Christ. Don't turn to the person to your left or to your right. Turn to Christ. If you're married, grab your spouse by the hand and come right now. Can we just stand together? If you're single, come right now. Because Christ is enough to resolve your sin and your shame that you might live for his glory. I'm going to stop now. Holy Spirit, come. Minister to our hearts perfectly. Settle our minds where they may be going to places where we want to make excuses, where we want to say, yeah, but, where we want to wallow in harm. Lord Jesus, help us not lean on our own understanding. Help us to rest now fully in you. In Jesus' name. If that's